Good morning, church. It is good to be together today, is it not? Even with the cold weather, still good to be together. And even though we didn't get blasted in and hung up in that miniature blizzard that we had the other day after we ate Thanksgiving, and despite us probably coming in with a few extra pounds, I mean, myself here, I had to take it up a little bit slow and had to wear the vest this morning because there's a little bit of extra hanging over the belt buckle, if you know what I mean. So, but it's good to be together nonetheless. But before we get into our study this morning, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you now, God. We're so thankful just to be together today. We're thankful for the ability to recognize your Son as the Lord and Savior over our lives. We're not deserving of such grace, Father. God, we thank you for the answers that you provide us through our walk in faith for you, God. As we walk in the light, God, we know that you shine answers and provide for the needs in our lives, God. And we can't thank you enough for that. It is only by your power that we are able to do so, Father. It is only by your power that we are able to come together as your people and to worship you. God, as we enter into our study today, I pray that our minds are focused, God, and that we can apply what your word has to say to our lives, Father, as we leave this building today. And it's through your son's name I pray. Amen. So there is once... This guy, and he, this guy, he loved doing things with his wife. Him and his wife, they did a lot of things together, and they really enjoyed it. Everything from going on adventures together and even just sitting on the couch being couch potatoes. Every moment was thought as something to be joyful of and just in, to enjoy being together with one another. But on this one particular occasion, his wife wanted to go roller skating, and The husband was pretty on the fence about this because last time he did, he was a little kid. So the wife persisted and he gave in and said, all right, well, we'll go and just give it a shot at least and kind of see what happens. Well, so they went to the roller skating rink and through that time they got ready and the wife and the husband was pretty on the fence still, struggling and fumbling to get the roller skates on and then starting to make their way into the rink, nearly falling a couple times while doing so. Well, once they got into the rink, the wife just blasted off. You know, no, no issue at all, a lot of coordination. Well, the husband looked like he was a newborn learning how to walk for the first time, stumbling about himself, nearly falling and tripping so many times. Well, confidence started to build, and the husband started to kind of get the hang of it, you know, He was there, he was able to get along, get some speed going. Well, he's taken a break for a few minutes, sat back for a second, and just took a a break. Well, whenever he went to go push off again, as luck would have it, one leg went this way, the other leg went this way, and out of a split-second reaction, he tried to get both feet forward to fall down properly and safely. Well, that didn't happen. He fell on the inside of his calf, and through the abrupt impact and the twisting of his ankle, broke his fibula bone. Now, if any of you are kind of remember what happened earlier in this year, this story is about me. 
So, you may be asking at this point, well, why are you telling me this? I mean, we already know this, so why, why the story? Through my procedure, I had to get a rod put through my fibula bone to secure the break because the break almost went through my entire fibula bone. And after the procedure, my wife is over here laughing as I tell this story. The doctor came in after I had this procedure done and said, hey, man, you got a little bit of an issue. Whenever we went and did that procedure, I noticed one thing with your bones. You have chicken bones, dude. Thin, weak bones. And that's why it broke so severely and broke so hard. I sit back and I think about that. And I can't help but think of my spiritual bones. What do your spiritual bones look like? Is your skeleton secure? Is it strong? Are you providing it with the nutrients that you need in your life to stand firm? Or... Are they feeble and frail, weak at the touch and ready to break at any sort of impact or any sort of abrupt fall that you may encounter? This is what I want to address in the study today on how to establish our growth in our spiritual bones. So that way we may be able to stand against whatever life may throw at us and be able to endure and have a firm foundation on God through our trials and tribulations in life. Our study will be coming from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-8. through 8. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bible there today, that's where we're going to be camping out. Now in this letter, this is Peter's second letter to the churches in Asia Minor. And he's writing to address the issue of persecution that they were facing at the time. The same persecution that they were facing in his first letter to them in 1 Peter. In this section, Peter talks about the knowledge that God has granted to us so that way we can work side by side and grasp on to the promises of salvation, giving them a list of attributes to add to their lives to strengthen their faith. And we're going to look at these qualities so that way we are able to add those qualities to our faith and we can become unwavering, remembering the why we do what we do and whose we are, confirming the truth of the Word of God. Let's get started in verse 3 of first Peter cha- or 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read through verse 4. Peter writes, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so through them you may become partakers of of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So right off the bat, Peter doesn't waste any time whatsoever. Peter is telling these Christians by the divine power of God that they are even able to partake in the Christian living. It is only by the power of God that we are saved which that is the same power that we get to partake in today and also those in the first century. We have that same power given to us by God. It is by God's power that we are able to have every single answer for every single question that we may have pertaining to life 
at your fingertips. How do we know that? How can we know that's true? I want to walk through a brief apologetic study with you this morning to help confirm again, and I'm sure all of you know this here being Christians, but maybe some of you aren't, and maybe some of you are on the fence about that. But I want to walk through this to confirm the truth that is in the Word of God. Genesis 1-2, we have the creation event. We have the foundations for how the world was established by the power of God. All through the Old Testament, we have historical records providing a deep and firm historical evidence for how the world went and how cultures were formed and how nations fell and rose again. Then we have the account of Jesus' life and the start of Christianity in the New Testament. We have written proof and undeniable evidence that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, seeing his sacrifice for us as sinners. That is proof that is given to us all by the New Testament writers. All 13, well, 12 of them. We have this evidence. And time and time again, especially through the book of Acts, we can see that confirmation. They testify yet again on trial. Yes, Jesus rose from the grave. I will not deny that fact. In the Jewish culture, it only took three to confirm that truth. But yet we have all 12 and thousands more to add on to that, which we find in Acts chapter 2 with the start of the church. And again, I know these things aren't new to us as Christians, of course. We know these things, and we have, but I want to give a further proof to that. Yes, we may, we may admit that this Bible is truth, and it is factual. But I want us to remember that the only place that we find Jesus written about is not only in the New Testament pages. But there are many non-Christians out there who write about Jesus. Those who lived in the same time period as him. Who wrote about him and confirmed his teaching and said, yes, he did teach. And he was a very good teacher at that. Even though they did not believe him and heed to his words. And I'm going to give some names. And if you need help spelling these, please come to me afterwards because they are some... Off-the-wall names, at the same time, they are from the first century after all, though. Thallus, who wrote in 52 AD, talks about the eclipse that happened on the day of Jesus being on the cross in his death. Marabar Sepion wrote in 73 AD, and he puts Jesus on the same level as the philosophers such as Socrates, Pythagoras, and some other wise men of the ages. Cornelius Tacitus wrote around 112 A.D. about Emperor Nero and him using Christians as scapegoats and blaming them for the great fire that happened in the part of history of 64 A.D. And he also writes many more things concerning Christians and the faith that they had, their undenying belief that Jesus was the Son of God. Then you have Plinius Secundus, also known as Pliny the Younger, who was the governor of Bithynia 
And he wrote a letter to Trajan talking about how Christians always gather together on a certain day, talking again about their faith that they had and their undenying belief of Jesus being the Son of God, the risen Son of God. But another thing that I want us to take into consideration is the amount of documents that we have found today through archaeologists and historians' discoveries. The total number of manuscripts that have been found as of 2022 this year is 66,286 documents the last time I checked. And this number continues to rise year by year. Now, if you stacked these documents on top of one another, everything that we have right here, all the documents, they would pile as high as two and a half miles high. That's a lot of documents. It's a lot of evidence. It's a lot of proof. As opposed to the average documentation found in the average philosopher that we read about today, such as Pliny the Younger and and Marabar Sepion and Thales and Socrates, their average documentation rises to about only four foot tall. I want to challenge you. Why is it that we continue to believe yet and yet again faster and undenying those people? Why do we believe those philosophers first over the words of Jesus? Why do sometimes, why is it that sometimes we believe them over the way we form life and the way we think about life over the words of Jesus? Are you doing that now? If so, Think about who you're reading about. Think about who you're reading the words of for advice in your life. Who are you putting above, above Jesus? But again, I'm not going to dive too deep into that rabbit hole. Because that gets way too political, way too quick. But the reason why I tell you all of this is to bring a gravity to the seriousness of this. There is a deep seriousness that needs to take place in your life to realize that what we have here is everything that pertains to life and godliness. There is no question that is unanswered that you may have that God cannot provide for you. But there is also much comfort and peace knowing that we can search for those answers. Knowing that we can have a hope no matter what. But I want to continue Peter's thoughts here. In the latter part of verse 3, he says, Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. God has called you. The question is, have you answered that call? Have you answered that call by the means of confessing Jesus as the Lord over your life? Confessing him as Lord and Savior. Admitting that he is the Son of God. Being baptized in the waters for the forgiveness of your sins. Have you answered that call? Verse 4. 
God has given to us his great promises, free of charge. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This promise here is eternal salvation. It is the promises that you will have an answer for the questions that you may have in life. He has paved that path and given the path light for us to follow along and a pattern of our lives after Jesus' footsteps here on earth so that we may be able to do his good will and to execute his will for us in our lives. then we are also able to partake in his divine nature, his holiness. We are co-heirs of what Jesus received, that being the resurrection. Not being counted as death, as dead in our sins and in our trespasses and in our transgressions. We are not dead, but alive in him again. By committing your life To the works of God, you have left your old self behind in the watery grave to start a new life, to again have those answers that you have, or have the questions and the answers to them. Verses 5 through 7, Peter talks about the ingredients to godly living. And these are the qualities that we're going to kind of focus on a little bit more here on how we're able to have a firm foundation. Starting in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now this virtue here, I like how some translations translate this. They translate it as moral excellence. And this word that is translated as being morally upright. It is goodness. So you wouldn't, so you would be standing up for what is right in a situation. You are taking part in that goodness of Jesus. Whether that be standing up for the little guy or being the one who is to do right when no one is looking. Peter then says, add to virtue knowledge. This knowledge is something that is talking about you growing in knowledge of Jesus and what he has done for you and having an understanding of the word. Now this takes time. And the more I'm at SIBI, the longer that I'm there, the more I understand this. Even though I have a fire hydrant, fire hydrant of information coming at me, I still don't understand. I don't have an inkling of understanding of kind of what's going on and what God is talking about and what he's teaching through his word. It takes a long time. But it is so, so good. And self-control. And I love, I love the Greek's definition for this. It says, self-control is a virtue of one who masters his desires and passions. 
especially his sensual appetites. This really paints a good picture that once you have come to Christ, you grow in that goodness of Christ. Then you begin to grow in the knowledge of him and his teachings and his life. And you learn about sin and how that is separating you from God when you do sin. Then you start to control yourself of that sin. You start to gird your mind into things that are godly and upright and righteous. You begin to let him light your path instead of you lighting your own path. So this rejection of personal desires, these personal desires are sinful. So this would include lies, deceit, drunkenness, cursing, not being loving, adultery. These are just a few. There are many more. And steadfastness, meaning the characteristic of a man who is answered from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. The NLT gives a really good phrase for this. Instead of steadfastness, it translates it as patient endurance. I think that really encapsulates the definition from the Greek language. And I also can't help but think of James chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, when I read through this. James says to count it all joy when you face various kinds of trials. Not just some kinds of trials, but any and all. Because that going through those, you can know that your faith will produce endurance. And you will be able to stand through those trials, having that firm skeleton that I mentioned earlier, to stand through those trials. Then godliness, which is a devoutness, a piety, a devotion to God, and a conformity to his will. You become committed to him. And this ties back to to the confession that you have when making him Lord over your heart. And I think once you begin to grow in the knowledge of God, of God's character, you can't help but have that attitude towards him, recognizing him as the holy triune God, the only God, the loving God, the gracious God who has saved you from your sins that lead to death. You recognize his holy nature and the amount of grace that has been poured out on you Someone who doesn't deserve it. At least I know that I am not deserving of it. I don't know about you. Then brotherly affection. And I know this is probably one that all of us have struggled with on multiple occasions. And I'm very well included in that. Brotherly affection is having a love toward your brothers and sisters in Christ. This love is which Christians cherish cherish for each other as brothers and sisters. So it doesn't look like a hatred towards one another. There's no room for that. There is no gossiping about each other here. There is no room for that. There is no tearing one another down behind their back. There is no room for that here. Turn over with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. 
John is also writing to those in a similar region of Asia Minor. They are also suffering a great verbal persecution and having to face against false teachers in their Christian walk at this time. So John reigns it in and tells them to keep something at the forefront of their minds. Verse 16, By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love the world or talk about or talk, but in deed and in truth. John is saying, hey, keep love at the forefront of your minds. Remember that sacrifice that you more than likely saw or at least you heard about not too long ago of Jesus. Yeah, he died for you. You need to keep that at the forefront of your minds before you go off and believe this other doctrine. 1 John 1, 7. John writes, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That encapsulates love, the self-sacrificial love. That is what you have to keep at the forefront of your minds when thinking about brotherly affection. And this leads us to this final point that Peter brings out, which is love. Being the ultimate result of faith. But this is not just any kind of love, though. This isn't just maybe a love that you have for a friend. This is a deeper love. This is the same kind of love that John talked about. His sacrifice for everyone. This is agape love. It is a never-ending love. It is a love where mistreatment is not present, nor can it be present. Love is how Peter ends this off. And love is the crown that I think encircles all of these attributes into one. Because we cannot have or practice any of these things unless we have love present in our life. According to Jesus, this is the devotion to the well-being of others as well. If we do not have love, we are no more than a clanging symbol, using Paul, Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We have to keep in mind, though, that Peter is not saying that, these are, that all of these qualities are works that are prerequisites to get into heaven. No, but rather the practice to have a firm foundation and to never unwaver from our faith and our focus on God getting to heaven. We are able to let our light shine among others. We are able to bring others to him and share in that fellowship with one another and bring them to his glory in love. Verse 8, Peter talks about the benefit to practicing and acting out his will, God's will. It says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says that as long as we hold on to these qualities and continue to grow in them, we are doing the work of God. 
We are practicing a part of the Great Commission that Jesus left us with in Matthew chapter 28. When we practice these qualities, we are able to keep, they are able to keep you from going back into the world, that world of sinful desire at its heart. They are able to help you keep that end goal in sight, helping you keep to walk on that narrow, on that narrow path that leads to righteousness. These qualities also help you to be fruitful in your labor for Jesus and growing in the knowledge of him. And we are able to strive for that perfection, keeping these qualities at the forefront of our minds. Because Jesus gave us that pattern. We have, how do we execute that? It is by Jesus' pattern that we have in the New Testament. So through the day, we have looked at the necessity of taking the Bible seriously. We have seen the qualities to apply to our lives as we progress in our faith, always seeking to add the other, not leaving one quality behind over another. And last, we looked at the benefit of keeping these qualities in the Christian walk. In First Peter's words, or in Peter's words, in First Peter 12, or Second Peter, chapter one, verse twelve, says, "Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you may know them and establish them in the truth that you have." Brothers, I remind you of these qualities as well, bringing them to the forefront of your minds again, even if you are, may already know them. I encourage you to keep these things at the forefront of your minds as you enter into the new week. question I want you to wrestle with is, do you have chicken bones of faith? Or are you providing your bones with the nutrient-rich milk that God provides and the nutrients that he provides for your life? Brothers and sisters, don't be like my physical body, being weak and frail, having chicken bones, but instead having strong bones. Bones that will be able to encapsulate you and make you stand on that firm foundation of Jesus. Do not forget the reward. Practice his attributes and continue to seek the knowledge of him. Jesus told you told us in Matthew chapter 7 verses 7 through 8 that if we ask it will be given. If we not if we seek we will find and if we knock it will be open to us. Ask him seek him and knock on his door for the answers that you may have and the creator will provide you with everything that you need in life but there is one aspect out of all of this that is very important and i touched on it a little bit earlier in the lesson it is the most important thing that we need to know This adds to our knowledge of Jesus, and it is the fact that Jesus came down on this earth and sacrificed himself for you, for all of us, for our sins. So that way we may be able to be with him in eternity and to have an everlasting life with him. But if not, we are caught up in our sin and we will perish. This is why... We must confess him as Lord and Savior over our lives, being baptized in the waters for the forgiveness of your sins. 
If you are here today and you are not partaking in that, or you have not confessed that yet, please don't leave this building. Please do not leave these doors without doing so. Romans 6 talks about this, about how we are able to be buried into Christ's death, that same death that he died for you. We are able to partake in that as well. By doing this, we are bearing the old self and raising into a new person, able to partake in a new life, leaving that old and sinful life behind. This person is clean from sin, having that mark of the Holy Spirit. God only sees you as his son after that, after that action. We are able to then walk in that newness of life. We can fulfill that need today. Or maybe some of you are struggling right now with having those chicken bones of faith. Maybe you have those weak bones of faith and you're having a really hard time standing up right now. If you need prayers or you need encouragement, you can meet with one of the elders in the foyer here in a second. Or you can come forward now and we can meet your need today as we stand and as we sing.